If you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 18, we're, uh, we're going to look at verses 12 through 27 this morning. This is a little bigger chunk of Scripture than we normally study, but this whole section really works together to give the context of what we're going to be looking at. Now, you will remember that Jesus and the disciples are in the garden. It's the very early hours of Friday morning of the, the Passion Week, and this group of people has come to arrest the Lord. This group that most likely numbered nearly 1,000 people. Uh, Judas is leading them. He, of course, Judas had betrayed the Lord. Uh, the disciples now know why Judas left the dinner you know, earlier in that evening. And John even tells us in the text that Judas was betraying Jesus. And again, we have to wonder how Judas could spend so much time with Jesus and still betray him to death. But that should also be a reminder to all of us that just because somebody plays the part of a Christian, just because somebody attends church, uh, just because may even be active in that church, that in itself is not proof of salvation. You know, salvation does not come as the result of church membership. It does not come as the result of church involvement. Salvation is the result of trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross as the full and final payment for your sin. Salvation is very individualistic. You know, you're not saved because your mom or dad is saved. You're not saved because your spouse is saved. You're not saved because you hang around with people who are saved. If you're saved, it is because and only because you have trusted in Jesus. So this morning, we, we see Jesus' first trial and we see Peter's denial. What a... What a vast difference we see in the outcome when we compare the betrayal of, Jesus, of, of Judas and the denial of Peter. Think of this. What is the difference between Peter's denial of Jesus and Judas' betrayal of Jesus? Just kind of think of that as we go through this this morning. So if you have your Bibles open, uh, John chapter 18, as I said, I'm going to Begin reading with verse 12, and I'll read down to verse 27. So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him, and led him to Annas first, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, 
You are not also one of the, this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. And I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the officials standing by struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if right, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage this morning, we just see the, the sinfulness of, of Judas, the sinfulness of the men arresting Jesus, and, and even the, the sinfulness of Peter in denying Jesus. As we see that sinfulness, we see Jesus on trial, ready to go to the cross to pay the debt for those very sins, to pay the debt for the very sin that put him on the cross, to pay the debt for all the sin committed that of all of those who will ever trust in him. <clears throat> he will he will go to the cross and and pay that debt in full. Lord, this morning we see just the stark contrast between the trial of Jesus and the denial of Peter, and the stark contrast between the denial of Peter and the betrayal of Judas. So Lord, I, I just pray that as we do come to your text this morning as we study your text that that we would just see the the love of Christ his love for those he would die for and that we would see his grace and his love even for Peter as as Peter sins right there in his presence that even that would be a reminder to us of the grace of God and His willingness to forgive. Even His willingness to forgive those who know Him and, and sin after knowing Him. His willingness to, to forgive based on the shed blood of Christ. 
We just thank you and praise you for that. Amen. It, it amazes me that Jesus was still arrested after his display of controlled power in the garden. Now, we talked about this last week. Jesus, uh, Judas leads this huge crowd of people to where he knew Jesus would be. He leads them to the place where Jesus and the disciples had gone every night of this week. And of course, before this night, Judas would have been with them, so he knew that that would have been where they were going. So Judas leads this Roman cohort and the officers of the, of the chief priests and the Pharisees to where he knew Judah, uh, Jesus would be. And they <clears throat> came with their lanterns and their torches and their weapons and this, this huge group of battle-ready soldiers. And Jesus simply steps forward and asks them who they are looking for. And they respond, Jesus the Nazarene. And, and He says, I am. And they fall to the ground. Only because Jesus spoke. He could have struck them all dead if He wanted to. He could have walked out of that garden, but He did not because this was God's plan and Jesus always does the Father's will. And, and of course, we all know that as this arrest is taking place, Peter draws his sword and he cuts off one of the servant's ears. And you know, as usual, Peter decides that he needs to take matters into his own hands. And so Jesus performs a miracle. Jesus heals the man. In the, the midst of his arrest, Jesus heals the man. You know, his ear lopped off by a sword and Jesus heals him as though he'd never been touched. And, and think about this. Not only did he perform a miracle to help this man, not only did he perform the miracle in the sight of his arresters, but he also most likely stopped Peter from being executed for attacking the man. So they, they bind his hands. Now, have you ever heard of something so stupid as that? Honestly. They bind his hands like a common criminal so he cannot get away. He casts them to the ground with two words. Do they really think binding his hands is going to do anything? They all witnessed His power, yet they were so blinded by their own sin to understand what actually happened. So we come to our text this morning. The Lord is, is bound. They're leading Him away. We see two seemingly unrelated things happening here. We have Jesus' trial, and we have Peter's denial. They, they seem unrelated, but the two are tied together. These, these two incidents are happening simultaneously, so John sort of flashes back and forth between the two. Our, our Lord is on His way to His death, and it's fitting that as He heads to His first trial, we see the denial of Peter. We see the sin of unbelief in Peter. Think of this. Why is Jesus willingly marching to His death? You know, isn't it for the payment of sin? 
John seems to be showing us that at the very point of our Lord going to His death, the, the very reason He was doing that, his, his death was to pay for in full the sins that are being committed even at that very moment by Peter who would be considered his best follower. It, it paints a dark background to display the light and glory of God's grace. You know, if you, if you go to a jewelry store, and you go in there and you want to look at a diamond, if you're like me, you know, you probably are looking at some of the smaller diamonds. But if you want to go, they're not for myself, but if you want to go there and you want to look at a diamond, they, they bring that diamond out of the case and they take a, right, a dark piece of, a piece of black cloth and they lay that diamond on. And then they put it under the light. You know, why do they do that? Because against that black backdrop with that light, that diamond shines like it's never going to shine again. Right? It just magnifies the shine. Well, here, here's grace. Jesus is on the way to the cross to die for the sins of Peter, the very sins that Peter is committing while Jesus is heading to the cross. It's an amazing thought. What, what we see here is the contrast between the unchanging, divine, determined faithfulness of Christ and the changing faithful, faithlessness of Peter and the other disciples. Christ is exalted, but Peter is debased. Even in the arraignment and the trial, Christ is exalted, but behind the scenes is this ugly black backdrop of Peter's denial so that we so much more clearly see the glory of Christ against that backdrop. And it reminds us that this is why it must be His hour. This is why He must die, to pay for these sins and all sins like them. So let's, let's begin with the trial. Now, I need to start by saying that there are actually six different trials that take place here. There were three religious trials. Uh, here we see him. He's taken to Annas. He was taken to Annas to attempt to get him to plead guilty uh, to their made-up charges. But that didn't work. So then they sent him to Caiaphas in the middle of the night. They attempted to have a trial, but it was illegal because it was the middle of the night. So they once again brought him before Caiaphas during the light of day. Then there were three parts to the civil trial. Remember, the, the Jews could not put him to death. Only the Romans could do that. So they take him to Pontius Pilate, who doesn't want anything to do with him. So Pilate sends him to Herod, who doesn't want anything to do with him. So Herod sends him back to Pilate, who still doesn't want anything to do with him. But basically, remember, he washes his hands and says, you know, I'm innocent of this man's blood, and sentences him to death. So the whole way through, you can see that all they want to do is get rid of Jesus. But they know that they have nothing to charge him with. 
So this, this first trial is in front of Annis. Now who is Annis? Well, this has caused a lot of confusion over the years, and some have pointed to this and said, look, I found a contradiction in the Bible. Well, what do I mean? Well, the text tells us Annas was high priest. Well, what does the text tell us about Caiaphas? It says he's high priest. Well, how, how's that possible? How can we have two high priests? You know, is this a contradiction in the Bible? And of course it isn't. There's a, there's a simple explanation. Verse 13 tells us Caiaphas was high priest that year. Okay, so if you go home tonight and you turn on the news, and there is a story about Barack Obama, how will they refer to him oftentimes? You hear him referred to as President Obama, right? Uh, Joe Biden, running for president, how do they often refer to him? Vice President Biden. Now, we all know Donald Trump is the president, Mike Pence is the vice president, but you still hear former presidents and former vice presidents referred to as president and vice president. And that's, that's what we have here. Annas is a former high priest, and John specifically refers to Caiaphas as the high priest that year, so there's, there's not a contradiction here. There's, you know, there's no contradiction in Scripture. But there are a lot of people who keep, keep looking, right, trying to find one, but they just they aren't there. Uh, so the Lord is first taken to Annas. We're introduced to him and Caiaphas, and John reminds us that it was Caiaphas who said it's better for one man to die than all the people. Now, what did Caiaphas mean when he said that? You know, remember, he said it right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, remember, Jesus is causing an uproar in, in Israel. And the Romans don't like that because, you know, they've, they've enacted the Pax Romana. And if you're familiar with that at all, it's the peace of Rome. In other words, it's peace that's brought about, brought about by any means necessary. You know, it's a false peace, basically. So, so Caiaphas was saying that they should kill Jesus before the Romans come in and kill all the Jews in order to restore peace. He didn't know that what he was actually doing was prophesying the death of Jesus in the place of sinners. You know, God used a sinner like Caiaphas to prophesy the atoning work of Christ on the cross. And that's it's a good reminder that we should always be willing to be corrected. Right? We should always be teachable. You know, uh, even from sources that don't seem like they should be able to teach us. I mean, certainly Caiaphas doesn't seem like he would be prophesying for Jesus. You know, I've learned great things from some of the most unlikely people. But after speaking of Caiaphas, John pivots from Jesus to Peter. John speaks of the prophecy that Jesus would die for all who believe in him and then turns his focus to one of those he died for. It's almost like it's a reminder to us that, look, here is why Jesus went to the cross. You know, this, this wasn't just some mad man who thought he was doing something. This was the Son of God who planned to die for the world, and as he is being marched to his sham trial, one of the very people he died for shows us exactly why Jesus needed to die. Peter shows the sinfulness of man. 
and you know before we go and start casting dispersions on Peter and say you know how he shouldn't have done that and how we wonder how Peter could possibly deny Jesus we we need to look in the mirror all right I, I I hope we're never so filled with pride to think that we would never or have never done something like this ourselves but Peter is following this procession that's leading Jesus to Annas, and we're told another disciple was with him. You know, it makes the most sense in the full context of the Gospel of John to say that this is John himself. Uh, John doesn't name himself in his Gospel. Instead, he says things like, the disciple Jesus loved, the other disciple, another disciple, but he never calls himself John anywhere in his Gospel. Remember who it was that ran to the empty tomb? It was Peter and John. And of course we're told that John ran faster, but it was Peter and John. Uh, so it certainly fits John's gospel and fits what we see elsewhere to say that John and Peter would have been walking together following this procession. Now, John had some standing in society apparently. He was known by the high priest, and so he just was able to walk into the court of the high priest. You know, Peter, Peter himself couldn't get in, but John went and he talks to the person at the door, and he gets Peter in. And I, you know, kind of find it interesting. John just walks in, and you know, there's poor Peter just standing there. You know, can't get in. But as, as John brings Peter in, this lowly slave girl, she's watching the door and she asks Peter if he is Jesus' disciple also, which, which makes me wonder if she knew John was his, one of his disciples or if John told her he was a disciple because, you know, she says, look, aren't you one of his disciples also? But, you know, Peter, you know, bold Peter, nope, not me. Uh, he was scared of a slave girl. Here is the rock, you know, as Jesus called him. And, and he is scared of a slave girl. But contrast that to Jesus who walked right up to his captors in the garden and declared, I am he. Now, Peter will become bold after the death and resurrection of Jesus, but at this point he's still afraid. And... You know, to be fair, he is standing there with the slaves and the officers, and he did just cut someone's ear off. So, you know, he may have been thinking about that. And the, the scene switches back to Jesus, and he's being questioned about his disciples and about his teaching. What does it mean to plead the fifth in our society? In our Constitution, the Fifth Amendment guarantees us that we cannot be compelled to testify against ourselves. In other words, if, if you're on trial, you can't be forced to testify against yourself. Well, the, the Jewish courts were set up that way as well. But they're trying to get Jesus to testify against himself. But, you know, he's, he's not having any of it. You know, Jesus is a little smarter than that. They ask about his teaching and his disciples, and he says, look, I've, I didn't do any of that stuff in private. You know, I wasn't hiding what I was doing. I was in the temple. I was in the synagogue. What I was doing was right there. 
you know, right where all the Jews gathered. So if you want to know what I was doing, go ask them. Basically, what he's saying is, bring on the witnesses. You know, bring on your witnesses that can testify that I did something wrong. Let's hear it. You know, but, but as we all know, there were no witnesses because he didn't do anything wrong. And as a result of him saying that, one of the officers standing there takes his club and he strikes him across the face with it. And interestingly enough, that blow to the face fulfills a prophecy from Micah. Now, Micah 5.1 says, With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. You know, by, by striking him in the face, the officer fulfilled that prophecy and unknowingly professed Jesus to be the judge of Israel. Which, of course, he is. Uh, he is the judge of Israel. He is the judge of all the world. And Jesus, showing his complete control, says to the officer, If I've spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong." But if I spoke right, why do you strike me? And, and with that, with that, that phrase, Annas knew that this illegal, under the dark of night case was going nowhere. And he sent Jesus to Caiaphas to hopefully bring the trial to its des desired conclusion. And, and at that point, we, we swing back to Peter. We leave the controlled, calm Jesus and return to the fear-filled Peter. We leave the one who, by all human reasoning, should be terrified and yet is calm, and we return to the one who has nothing to fear, yet is terrified. And that's, that's how we're going to finish this morning. We're gonna, uh, Jesus told Peter that Peter would deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. We've, we've seen the first time already. Now we're going to see the final two, beginning with verse 25. Peter is standing next to the fire. Right? They're standing there at the bonfire. They're warming themselves. And, you know, he's probably trying to blend into the crowd while at the same time watching what's going on. And this, this group that he is amongst, this group that we have already learned is made up of the slaves and officers. And, you know, seems it's the slaves and officers who went out to arrest Jesus. But this group that he's among looks at him and says, hey, aren't you one of the disciples also? I'm, I'm guessing he didn't exactly fit into that crowd. Uh, the officers were certainly identifiable by their clothing. The slaves quite likely knew each other. And they probably saw Peter and thought, you know what, he is not one of us. Not only that, but Peter had been following Jesus for about three years. He had been leaving, you know, Jesus had been leaving his mark on Jewish society for three years, and his disciples may have been somewhat known as well. So they asked Peter, hey, aren't you one of his disciples too? And Peter says, nope, not me. You know, you, you got the wrong guy, don't know what you're talking about, and that's the second denial. Then one of the slaves of the high priest looks at Peter and asks him, didn't I see you in the garden with Jesus? It's like he's saying, you know, I, I might be crazy, but we just came from the garden and I'm pretty sure you were there. And, and John gives us this interesting little bit of additional info. He says that this person was related to Malchus. 
You know, the, the guy whose ear Peter had just cut off. Uh, this guy was in the garden. He was a relative of Malchus. There's a good possibility he witnessed the entire thing, including the miracle. They may have even been talking about the miracle as they were warming themselves by the fire. You know, we don't know, but for some reason, John brought up the fact that this was a relative. Now, did Peter know that he was a relative of Malchus? We don't know, but it's interesting that John includes that. And again, Peter uh, denies being a disciple of Jesus, and that is the third denial, just as Jesus had predicted, and immediately a rooster crowed. Again, just like Jesus predicted. Think about this. No one is threatening Peter. No one is threatening to harm or arrest him. He could have simply said, yes, I am. And there's no indication that anything would have happened to him. He, he would not have sinned by denying Jesus. And, and, you know, as we know from the other disciples, or the other gospels, denying him with cursing. You know, what, a, what a contrast we see here. You've got the bold, calm attitude of Jesus. The sinless, perfect man willingly going to the cross. And then you have Peter. The scared sinner denying the Lord for no reason at all. He wasn't threatened, he was just scared. And Peter's denial, we see some of the very sin that brought about the need for Jesus' death. The trial of Jesus and the denial of Peter may seem like two completely different topics, but they are undeniably tied together. In Luke 22.60, we see Luke's account of this situation, that, and we read that even while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And then we see this Almost chilling statement. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Jesus is in the courtyard. He is on trial. He is bound. And he hears the rooster crow. And he turns and looks at Peter. What must that have been like? At that moment, Peter remembered exactly what Jesus said earlier, that, that he, that Peter would deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed, and Peter wept bitterly. Jesus is being mocked and beaten, and he hears the crow, uh, the, the rooster crow, and he, he turns and looks at Peter. And it, it broke Peter. Now, what, what was the difference between Peter and Judas. Peter had remorse. Peter loved Jesus. Peter was repentant. None of that was true of Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus and he went and hanged himself. Peter denied Jesus and he wept bitterly. And he was forgiven. And he was restored by Jesus himself. Do you, do you remember the scene after the resurrection? Jesus takes Peter aside and asks if Peter loves him. Three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He asks three times, one for each denial. And Jesus restored him. Peter was weak. 
Here is one of the Lord's hand-chosen disciples, chosen to carry on the gospel message after the death of Christ. And we have record of him sinning grievously. You know, if we, if we saw this happen today, we, we might think Peter's just a lost sinner bound for hell. But he loved Jesus and he was loved by Jesus. You know, what do we learn from this? We're all weak. Uh, don't be self-confident. You know, don't blow off church because it's not convenient. Don't hang around the wrong people. Ask for forgiveness when you need to and tell the Lord you love Him and draw near to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is so much we can learn from the life of, of the Apostle Peter that I am sure applies, I know applies to me and I'm sure applies to each and every one here. Lord, we are, we are weak. As, uh, as the song says, it took the hand of God to create you and me, but, but it only, it took one little lie to separate us. We, we are not as strong as we think we are. Lord, that we would remember that we are not as strong as we think we are, that, that we do fail, that, that those, those failures aren't good, but you forgive us. You shower us with grace. You shower us with mercy. Even, even in times of, of our greatest failure, Lord, you do that because you love us. And you, you only do that for, for those who know you as Lord and Savior. But Lord, what an encouragement I hope it is to know that even when we fail, we will continue to repent, continue to, to turn away from sin. You will continue to forgive us. You, you, you do forgive us. You will continue to have fellowship with us. You will restore us. Lord, I just hope that we can learn from the life of Peter uh, just that in our, in our failures we are not finished. Lord, we praise you for that. We thank you. And it's all in the name of Jesus. Amen.